Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Log Talk Radio. Hey, hey, welcome. This is Tara Davis, and you are on Blog Talk Radio. We are talking today on holistic living with the wildly popular, super fun, down-to-earth Amber St. Peter. She is a plant-based chef, a cookbook author, a blogger, a recent yoga instructor, recently married, and lives with her husband and Pitbull Maddie in Fullerton, California. When she's not working on her blog, Good Saint, you can find her pursuing local farmer's markets, comic book shops, rock climbing gyms. Her first cookbook, Homestyle Vegan, is available wherever books are sold. And I will attest to checking that out yesterday. It looks fantastic. I'm super excited to go get, grab a copy. In this episode today, we're going to talk about um, Amber's struggles with eating disorders and her journey with her eating disorders and how she has learned to love her body in a more healthy and accepting way. She is going to take us through her several year journey with anorexia and bulimia and finding her way out. We're also going to talk about CBT and THC and how these strains of medical marijuana have helped Amber through her healing process. Amber, welcome! Hi, thanks for having me. (laughs) You are so welcome. And we were just briefly chatting before we became live on how excited I am to have you on the show and talk about all this. And I wanted to tell you why, because I think as women, we can all um, relate somehow to some type of eating disorder, even if we haven't gone to an extreme of anorexia or bulimia, I think we can all relate to having diets, you know, the yo-yo diets and the restrictions or eating too much and then feeling ashamed or trying to get on the latest bandwagon. So in some form, plus media is crazy. We are bombarded hundred times a day by images that we quote are supposed to look like and how we're supposed to dress. And so one can only imagine that each of us has some type of eating disorder and I don't minimize at all what you have experienced, but I want to relate to that aspect that we can all at some point take from your story and learn. So let's start there. Tell us about the eating disorders. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I I totally will preface it too with, I agree with you. I think um, that unbeknownst to many, many people, they're totally suffering from uh, some disordered eating of some sort. So I think it's totally important that we talk about it and we're open about it and and honest because, you know, it's just easier if we can help each other out and support each other. Mm -hmm. Um, So that said, um, I, uh, I started my eating disorder when I was about 16 years old. Um, my parents were going through a really rough divorce. It was really messy. And um, I had been, you know, I was 16. I had been dating this guy for a long time and he totally broke my heart. And it was just sort of like a collusion of really crummy events. And I felt powerless. Um, and I remember the first day that I went home and uh, I ate an entire pint of Ben and Jerry's and I felt mm-hmm. so terrible afterwards. The guilt just consumed me. And I remember sobbing in my mom's living room and I was, I was home by myself and I thought, well, you know, if I just threw this up, then it would be like it never happened. And then I wouldn't have to feel so guilty about it. Um, and so I, I went into the bathroom and I made myself sick and I didn't feel good about it afterward. And I didn't feel any thinner or like I hadn't eaten ice cream. I just felt really crummy. Um, wow. And that was like the first day that I really remember, um, thinking like, yeah, no, you have to do this. 
and um and it felt like a, a way uh, for me to regain some control in my life at that point, um, which I think mm. is the reason a lot of people sort of start with food. It feels like it's something that they can control what they're putting into their body or maybe how it makes their body look or how it makes them feel. Um, mm-hmm. And that was definitely what started it for me. So uh, at 16, yeah, I remember. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Please interrupt. No, I was just going to say when you just said and this, I, I got to do this. What made you think I got to do this? Was it a control issue? Was it I was overweight what made you say yeah I gotta do this um I think a lot of it was at 16 I had convinced myself that I probably the reason that my boyfriend at the time had broken up with me was because I wasn't offense um I I think that I had told myself that if I was prettier he would have liked me more or wouldn't have you know whatever 16 year olds Mm -hmm. tell themselves they're body dysmorphia that they see when they look in their Uh mirrors you know I had just convinced myself that um probably that was a big part of it him he had like cheated on me which you know you're 16 so whatever but it totally broke my heart and um and I think that was a big part of it and then also um my parents split up and I just felt like it was a really easy way for me to because I was going between houses I didn't have to eat a lot I could I could uh, sneak around with food. I was driving. So it was easy for me to say like, Oh, well, I ate out with my friends. Um, mm-hmm. it's just a nice way for me to sort of regain control over something that in a world that felt like I just didn't have much control over what was going on in my life otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I did that for a long time. I mean, I moved to California, um, which we can talk about later, but, uh, at 18. So, uh, I didn't really true effort to be done until about then when I moved out to California a few months in was like this isn't what I want anymore I am feeling way better I'm happier with my life I didn't feel like I needed that control anymore I had removed Mm -hmm. myself from the situation that I was in before so things were different um but for at least two long years I remember Mm -hmm. it being a, a daily struggle um and I, I think a lot of people can say, like, I had bulimia or I had anorexia. I never um, was diagnosed technically with anything because I didn't tell anybody that I had a mean disorder. Mm-hmm. I think that's sort of the point, you know, is that far too often no one knows. You don't want anyone to know. And that's sort of your way mm-hmm. of keeping control. Um, mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I, I bounced back and forth between bulimia and anorexia sort of depending on how I was feeling when I was at my dad's house. Oftentimes he made a big dinner. We would sit down and we'd eat as a family. So I'd eat three plates of food and then Mm -hmm. excuse myself to the bathroom for an hour. And Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, my dad had a lot going on. I don't think he thought about it much. I don't blame them at all. They had their own things happening, but um, you know, and then I would go to my mom's house and just wouldn't eat because my mom, sweet woman, I love her, but she definitely grew up in an era that, uh, preached fad dieting. And so my whole life was fad Mm -hmm. diet after fad diet, you know, the Atkins diet and the South beach diet. And I remember her putting the whole family on these diets. So even at eight or nine years old thinking, well, I have to be on a diet and I'm not Mm -hmm. really knowing why, you know, I wasn't a a chubby kid, but thinking that, Oh, well, it's probably because I'm on a diet. So if I'm not on a diet, then I will be. And that's, you know, that's not okay. Um, and I think it is. And I think that is an amazing point that you just made that, um, you know, we grew up with and you are so much younger than I, but I can completely relate. And again, loving my mother, but I can remember her and her body image wanting to be thin and she was, you know, she would run. Um, we were always incredibly healthy eaters. And so she grew up on a farm. And so we were always incredibly healthy eaters. But I can relate to when you said, you know, there's a fad, everything was a fad diet at that point. Because then you're already getting the message, something is not good enough, right? That yes, something absolutely. Me, yes, needs to change. So I must not be good enough. And I must be, I must, uh, there must, I, maybe I should be feeling some shame around this or how I'm looking or feeling or acting. And so we're already getting that message, like you just said, eight years old. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, it starts so young. Well, and the saddest part, I think, is that I did lose some weight sort of initially, um, because I was starving myself. And Mm. obviously, that's uh, what happens. I certainly didn't look well, I looked, I mean, I can look back at photos from that now. And I have these dark, dark circles under my eyes. And I just look sick and tired and gaunt. It's not, 
it was in no way attractive and I didn't look mm -hmm. healthy. I'm surprised it wasn't more obvious, but, um, mm -hmm. you know, I did lose a little weight and I remember getting some positive feedback for that or things that I took to be positive feedback. Mm -hmm. I remember going to school one day and this boy I had been friends with saying like, wow, you know, you look like you've lost some weight. And to me, that was like a, that was like a trophy. Like, oh, right. someone noticed and it was a boy. Wow. Yeah. You know, that held more weight, which shouldn't have at all. But, um, you know, at that age, you, you well, at any age, you totally, you want people to think highly of you. And when you're concerned about how you look, certainly that comes into play. Mm -hmm. um, so, And it's um, seemingly a positive message to you at that age. Absolutely. Totally. You think of it as like, I'm doing something well, so I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing then. Mm -hmm. um, I remember a similar thing, my dad hugging me and saying like, wow, you're so, you're so thin. You know, I can put my arms all the way around you and just squeeze you. And, mm -hmm. and in my head, you know, kind of laughing and blowing it off and in my head thinking, good, like that's right? my goal you know, and, mm -hmm. and it's so hard to think back on how hard I was on myself. I can remember, um, I, I'm lactose intolerant, but I've always loved cheese. So when I was mm -hmm. younger, I would still force it. I would still just like have cheese and crackers as a late night mm -hmm. snack. And I can remember, you know, having a snack like that and then berating myself, like, you're so disgusting. Why did you eat that? You're, you're going to wake up in the morning and you'll see it on your body. You'll be visibly bigger. Mm -hmm. And it was mm -hmm. just like so much demeaning talk and negative self-talk. And um, it made the situation way worse. You know, I was making it way worse myself by just these terrible mantras I was telling myself all the time. Um, mm -hmm. So anyway, eventually I went to college. I started college um, at the University of Maine. I lived in the dorms and things got really bad then. I... Mm. Uh, that was like the height, I think, of my eating disorder for me. My my family wasn't around to check up on me. I was far enough away from home that I could just do whatever I wanted, you know. And so I was partying a lot and drinking because it was college and then mm -hmm. not really eating anything. Um, I remember trying purposefully that first semester to try and keep my calories under 800 calories a day, which is wow. unsafe. It's not. Right. Yeah. Like a, ch a child should be eating more than that. So. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I remember sitting um, in my bedroom and skipping classes because I was too weak to get out of bed in the morning. And I was so tired because I hadn't eaten in days that I physically couldn't get up out of bed. Um, and my roommate just saying like, what's going on with you? You know, like just mm -hmm. a few months ago, you were just much more bubbly and you were a happier person. And I had just really, I had really fallen apart. You know, I didn't really know what to do with myself. And so I dropped out of college. I moved back home for a semester. Um, and while I moved home, things were different. You know, my dad had a new partner and um, my sister was in high school. It was just like a very different environment. And I had been mm -hmm. moved out. So moving back was hard. So I decided pretty quickly that that was not going to work for me. Uh, so right. I had considered moving out somewhere else in Maine and then realized like, you know what, I I need something new because I am not happy with my eating disorder. I'm not happy with how I feel or look emotionally I'm unhappy I needed something new um and so Which I just think is incredible I just want to put in there at your age so you were what 19 at this point uh yeah I was actually 18 when I was 18? yeah so even for an 18 year old mind to already realize that you needed this huge change and that you needed to remove yourself to make this change is awesome yeah, I don't know where that knowledge came from, but I'm so happy that it did because it really saved me, I think. You know, my parents had a really, really messy divorce for years. And so unfortunately for my sister, she had to deal with that sort of being back in the same state as them um, and whatever. But I, I got away. I had a friend that lived in California, so I asked him if I could come visit. I, I fell in love with California and like three or four months later... I moved out full time. I had gotten a job through a nanny agency and I worked full time as a nanny um, for a couple little kids. And that um, that's like really where my eating got a lot more uh, on track. Um, you know, mm. I was working with little kids, so they had to eat healthful meals regularly right. four times a day, you know, and right. started realizing that like, if I'm setting an example for these kids, I need to be eating a little better. And also to keep up with them, I had to be eating. Right. I couldn't. <laughs> I had to have the energy. Um, and, you know, living in California, all of a sudden there was all of these new 
foods and restaurants and places available to me that I'd never experienced before. And I wanted to try them. So mm. I started eating, you know, I started going out and eating more and I gained a lot of weight really quickly because I'd been starving myself for years and mm. I was really unhappy with that. So very quickly, I, um, I got like, oh, I should start, I should go back to my eating disorder because I'm gaining weight. Um, but I feel really lucky that at that time um, I had met my now husband, we had started hanging out, started dating a little bit. And he was so supportive. And so um, I felt like I could really open up to him about it. And I told him everything I explained about the eating disorder. And he was like, I get it, can't do that anymore. And I'm here to support you. And we'll get through this. And it was all of a sudden, like, oh, there's someone who really cares and who is totally invested in my well being and wants the best for me and isn't consumed with a divorce or whatever. Right. And it just was really nice to have that support system. And I really credit him with being the person that like helped me to pull out of, of the tail end of that eating disorder, because I think that it would have been really easy for me to just go back to what I was doing. But he was like, look, let's work out together. Let's eat healthy together. We'll go to California pizza kitchen once a week instead of twice, <laughs> you know? So right. um, it was really wonderful to have someone as a support system that helped. Um, because I had been doing it on my own for a long time and I, I'd had enough, um, sort of with where all to get myself to California, but past that I was still struggling. So mm. I started seeing a therapist regularly, which I highly recommend mental health is mm. so important. Um, mm -hmm. and just talking about it and being able to be open with the urges, you know, like there are still days I'm 27 now where I'll call my husband and say like, I just ate three brownies and I'm feeling really bad about myself and he's like cool mm -hmm. don't like there's you're you know you're beautiful and you don't need to worry about it and just having someone else who kind of can reinforce that sometimes it's really helpful because it's really easy to talk negatively to yourself and then to start believing it oh completely oh my goodness and don't we all we all get into that slump of holy Absolutely. shit what is it that I just did and right. I should be ashamed of myself and good God, yeah. I cannot believe I just did that. Like all that negative chronic talk that comes in it is swells insane. Up. Totally. And it is, it's mm. like, I feel like I'm 17 again. I'm looking in the mirror and like squeezing my love handles and it's like, why mm. am I doing this? No one cares. I'm married now. You know, like <laughs> I'm, I don't have anyone to impress. So I'm good. And, you know, I think become a huge part of, getting well for me because correlationally you need energy. So you need food to be able to work out and working out right. brings you all this serotonin. It's been a great cycle for me to get into. Um, mm -hmm. But I still like, I certainly am not dismissive of the fact that I think people struggle when you have an eating disorder, it's something you'll struggle with for the rest of your life. You know, it's like, you'll never, most people, I don't think will ever be completely healed of it. It's always something that will come up every now and again, mm. and you have to be able to turn those feelings off or shut them down. Well, and it's, I'm glad that you brought that up because I, I wanted to ask, um, first of all, let, um, help me understand, because I know your parents, again, there is no blame that they were so consumed within their own lives, they didn't recognize what was totally. going on with your life. And so what are some of the things that we can recognize? What are some of the, the pieces that you like? Look out mm. for yeah, I might want to help you. Yeah. I might want to, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I actually had friends. I remember that first few months, I had a, a couple of close friends that came to me and said, we think, you, we think you're making yourself sick. And I said, no, I'm not. I'm not doing that. That's crazy. And I remember right. the, it was a couple, a, a girl and a guy couple, they came to me and the girl walked away and the guy said, you know, no, really. Like, even to me, it's obvious that something's going on with you. Um, and so... I think you have to, uh, for one, talk, talk to your kid's friends, you know, like they know mm -hmm. a lot more about them than you'd think. I think as far as like, um, you know, making sure that like, if they look really tired, like I was sleeping a normal amount, but I looked really sick and tired all the time. Um, mm -hmm. I was actually sleeping an abnormal amount because I wasn't eating. So I was tired all the time. Um, mm -hmm. You know, pay attention, little things like, like, bony, bony things, you know, it's not like mm. necessarily some people are just built that you'll see their shoulder blades or however, if they haven't been built like that forever, and all of a sudden you start noticing that their hip bones poke out weird or their spine. That was something mm. I really remember being obvious in my body was that my spine stuck out so far 
Um, mm-hmm. But I would try and keep it covered up. You know, other my other bones, I have enough enough extra cushion that that wasn't so much of a problem. But um, mm-hmm. and then I think as far as emotionally. I, again, like my parents were so consumed and my sister was four years younger than me. There was no way for her to have known that. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think that it was probably very obvious that I was, um, I wasn't really participating in school. I wasn't, um, I just wasn't the same kid. You know, I felt like Mm -hmm. I was very removed. I felt like quiet and depressed a lot. I remember staying in my room a lot because I was trying to, um, make sense, uh, make my parents make sense of the hours that I would be missing going to the bathroom and make myself sick. So it was like, if I'm in my room for three hours or in the bathroom for three hours, they don't really know. I'm just mm-hmm. not in the rest of the house. So mm-hmm. out of like shutting myself off, being alone, nothing, and he didn't throw up, which was crazy. Mm-hmm. She would say oh. things like, you're beautiful. And it was like, I just don't want to hear that, you know, because I couldn't hear that. Um, so it's easier and to just so, like shut off and go in my bedroom and be myself. At the same time, you know, simultaneously as you wanted to be shut off, do you think you were subconsciously looking for all of that attention that you weren't getting because they were so self-consumed? Oh, I'm sure. I'm totally sure. And and I at this time, like in high school, I you know I had gone through that messy breakup and mm. I just started dating someone else pretty quick after, and I can remember thinking like, I don't really like this person that much even, but I just don't want to be by myself. Mm-hmm. And that's a crummy feeling and not fair, obviously, to the other person. But, you know, it was just like, I just needed someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I needed someone. Oh, um, sister, you keep talking just a little that. bit. Sorry, oh, are you I'm moving? Sorry. No worries. Uh, no I, worries. Don't, I don't think so. I'll try and stay still. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> well, and as and as girls, we, from the psychological standpoint, we crave that fatherly attention, and it's something that if we don't get, can really wreak havoc throughout our lives in so many different levels. And so, if we don't get that fatherly love, that unconditional love from our dad, it can just play out on so many levels and in so many ways in our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I think, I mean, for me, my my dad and I was like a parent that was around, um, mm. which was really nice. Um, mm-hmm. Or just like anyone that I could like get love from. I was feeling so sad and so alone and so crummy mm-hmm. about my body that it's like to have, especially a love interest maybe who could, would then be interested in your body anyway was like, oh, okay, well, this is an added perk. Um, right. So yeah, it just, it is so sad because I can look back and just see me talking down to myself at that age and just saying terrible things to myself or comparing myself constantly. You know, I really remember that being a hard thing walking around high mm-hmm. school and just thinking like, how come I'm a junior and that girl's a senior and I will just never look as advanced as she, she looks, you know, or I will never right. look as adult as she does or whatever it was that I wanted in that, you know, those years. It's like, it just, you never feel like you're enough. That That's mm-hmm. part of high school is you never feel like you're enough. You're constantly comparing yourself. Um, and it's I'm like, still constantly especially now. Yeah. And even now with like you were saying earlier with social media, I mean, it's just, it's amplified a thousand times. It's like, no matter mm. what they see at school and, and at home, then they have this whole extra world of pressure on them, which is just so much. Mm-hmm. Mm. Let's talk about, oh, it's pretty much um, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about, um, well, we've talked about the emotional components. So how do you go through today, yesterday, through your daily life now? What brings up those triggers for you? How do you recognize them? Do you self-talk yourself through? And I know, like, you know, you said you had three brownies. If you decide not to have those three brownies, how do you self-talk, self-coach through that hour or that six hours? Yeah, so now um, I try and more self-loving. So most mornings when I wake up, I go in the bathroom, I use the restroom, I wash my face, I brush my teeth. I do some affirmations. So it's a lot Mm -hmm. of like literally looking at my body and saying like, 
you are beautiful. You are gorgeous. You are strong. Think about how much mm. yoga you've done lately. Think about you know, things you've lifted and like just taking a moment to appreciate what I have and um, enjoy that. And so that's helped me hugely in general to build up my self-confidence, which I think plays a huge role in that guilt that comes on. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of my yoga teacher training, finishing that really gave me a, a better connection to my body too. I feel even more sort of secure in who I am and um, just like proud of what I'm capable of with my body. Um, and mm -hmm. so I think that all helps hugely when you're trying to walk but yeah, I do a, uh, it sounds so stupid, but there's the SNL skit where they say, uh, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like me. And as silly as I love it sounds, it. <laughs> right? That has become my go-to mantra when I'm out and about because it's so easy to get insecure um, and just feel awkward in certain situations. I work from home a lot, so I definitely consider myself an introvert. And sometimes when I go out in public, I just feel like so awkward. Um, right. And that. And that really helps. So I think drip down and look at your body and appreciate how amazing it is. You know, like think of all the things that you're capable of. And that's something that working out has done for me. It's forced me to challenge myself in ways that I'm capable of more than I thought I was. Mm -hmm. Just feeling so, about your body. It gives you yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, no. I was just going to ask you about yoga. What prompted you to start the teacher training? Was it was it your wanting or your desire? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I was doing yoga for a long time at home. Uh, occasionally, I'd go to a studio here and there. Most, uh, I'd find my favorite channels and I would tune in and I would do a yoga, you know, every morning. Um, and I started to realize that that was really fun, but I wasn't necessarily getting the whole experience. And mm. I missed that. Um, and I had gone to a few classes, so I was familiar with the, the community aspect of it. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of times where, like, I do love working out, but I still don't always want to work out. And so there's something to be said for going to a class and having a group of people that's waiting for you to come. And it's much easier to force yourself to go when you know people are counting on you. So um, right. I started to realize that, like, I needed a little more out of my practice. I wanted to explore a little bit more depth in my practice and I just wasn't getting that from there um a lot of this, uh, studio I liked nearby core power and um once I started going realizing the first of all the connection with people who have similar interests is always a wonderful experience mm -hmm. so getting out there I'm sure you're familiar as an adult it is so like hard to make new friends so it's nice right? to go uh, to a space <laughs> where you're like well at least we already have this in common um, completely so yoga for me has become and it's just become a really restorative thing um my husband jokes now when he, it just calms me down it's a therapy for me now um I need that mm. relief and that hour on the mat really gives me that which I love mm. I do too I can totally relate to the whole um yoga piece and and getting out into the community because I as well I have a online that I subscribe to because I work from home and so a lot of the times I am so busy that I will just do the yoga at home but there is so so much connection when you go to the studio and you know everyone else is there for the exact same reason they're practicing at their level like no one is in competition with anyone else they are truly there to heal themselves to work on whatever issues they have and it feels so comfortable the space is so comfortable for me so I love that that is your same reason <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about um this the medical marijuana so as I was reading uh, when you had posted this initially which has been like gosh maybe a month and a half two months ago when you posted this on your blog um it was almost a juxtapose of using marijuana for the munchies when you've had an eating disorder so talk about that with us <laughs> yeah, so I have a, a lot of what? Um, medical marijuana is so key um, for a lot of reasons. Because I was bulimic for a long time, I really screwed with my digestive system. Um, I have to take a lot of probiotics and I still feel weird a lot. Um, so medical marijuana is really calming um, for the excuse me, digestive system. 
um, especially when you take edibles and you um, to the and it can um, help to relax muscles. It helps to relax your nervous system. It helps to, I mean, obviously, so like helps to chill you out. Um, mm. And so I use it sort of both as a mental therapy to release that high strung, crazy stress, um, which mm -hmm. I often feel accompanying my uh, crazy food choices. Um, so it allows mm -hmm. me to mellow out a little bit and, and honestly, just enjoy food. Um, I am the kind of person that's like, well, I'm not hungry, so I just won't eat, even though I know it's dinner. Time. If I'm not, I won't eat all mm -hmm. night. And sometimes mm -hmm. that's fine. night working on something and then not eating and that's not good so um it's a really good way for me to sort of get back in a normal eating regimen and also to start um not feeling so weird about food because yeah there's days where you're like i have a batch of brownies and there's not a ton of sugar in them and i want to have a couple but normally mm -hmm. i would feel terrible and have this raining guilt so it's like for me a little bit of medical marijuana can help to sort of relax what you're enjoying and it tastes really great and mm. I sleep better um right but for me also especially for someone who struggled with anorexia you fight food so much that sometimes mm. it's nice to have the feeling of just unrequited hunger like mm -hmm. hunger so much when you're anorexic or dealing with starvation that you you learn to to like the feeling of that tw that twin Mm -hmm. and the uh, groaning like you start to crave that and it's such a crappy thing you shouldn't want it and so it's nice sometimes I think when you have maybe you take a small edible or you smoke whatever your ingestion form is and mm -hmm. then it's like whether you like it or not you're hungry mm -hmm. you need mm. to eat. sometimes that rides your mental your mental saying oh no that'll make you fat and that's what Mm. So, yeah, I mean, I think medical marijuana, it's like it's not for everybody. And I think you have to be really careful. But for me, it's been a huge help in um, just regulating my food, making me hungry again, um, enjoying food a lot more. Just, you know, so certainly you shouldn't hate. It. And if someone was a chef, like I have I had to get to a place where I could eat again and could feel good about eating and eat whatever, you know. Which, yeah, so let's bring that up. Let's talk about your transition to vegetarian and to vegan. Where did this come from? Um, so it sort of, um, and in reality, was connected to my eating disorder. When I very mm. first moved to California, I was locked out with my now husband, Alex, and we were going out all the time and trying new things because it was new to me. Um, and I just felt like I was eating um, because it was new and I was excited about it, but I was also getting pretty fat and feeling pretty sick. And so, um, yeah, veganism for me started as like a dual, I want to get healthier and I'll be able to restrict what I'm eating and people won't really know because I can say I'm a vegan and mm -hmm. that will just solve. I also just didn't eat that much. And what I did eat was a lot of just vegetables and rice. You know, like I was a very restrictive person. Um, mm. And so I've been vegan now for like seven years. And I'm a much happier person now. I am not really. Um, but I am really open about the fact that I think that veganism for a lot of people, and it's not necessarily talked about, but it is a form of an eating disorder. I understand, and a lot of vegans will not like hearing this, but that veganism is a lifestyle. But part of that vegans, they just go vegan with their diet before they make their entire lifestyle vegan. I think that's how most people get started. Um, mm -hmm. That's how I got started. And it really was much more of a restrictive thing for me than it was about being healthy. Um, it was really and easy I for me to just say, like, well, I can't have this whole food group now. So I don't even have to right. worry about not eating it or telling myself I can't have it. restriction that I just can't have it anyway. 
Um, and I will totally so um, jump on that bandwagon with you. A very healthy vegan. Um, I know a lot of people that live on really healthy vegan diets and they're doing great. Um, I just think it, that we do need to have the conversation there that there are also a lot of young people that see veganism as their calories and to cut out whole food groups just to cut out whole food groups. So that's something I'm I trying agree. to be super open with because um, I still eat a mostly vegan diet um, 99% of the time because I think it's good for the planet and it makes me feel good. And I really mm-hmm. like being vegan. I think the food's great. I think there's awesome options. Um, <laughs> right. but that said, I do think there needs to be more discussion of people that go vegan with the intent of just sort of restricting their food intake. So that's tricky. Um, it is tricky. And I but wanted now, to put I in think there. I live a really healthy vegan lifestyle. I um, work really hard to make sure that I'm getting the proper amount of nutrients, protein every day. Um, I eat a wide variety of fruits and vegetables and grains. And um, I would, I think I could easily say that I have a very healthy vegan lifestyle now. And so, yes, on that topic of talking about the restriction. Um, For myself, I can completely relate because for the longest time, first of all, when I, um, well, it was when I turned 40, everything started changing in my body. And so I became uh, gluten intolerant. Like that was the first thing that started shifting with me. And I had always been as um, very mindful of how I looked, what I was eating. I didn't go down the path that you have with anorexia or bulimia, although I, I know I very easily could have something, something didn't allow me to do it. And I don't know what that was, but I was always super mindful of calories and my intake. And so when I started realizing that I could no longer eat gluten, then I had to figure all different kinds of things out. Then I had to relearn how to cook because as you know, gluten is in everything we eat. And so Mm -hmm. I, had to relearn that. Then I realized that I was um, lactose intolerant. So then I had to relearn that. And then like my body through like about a year or two went through all these different kinds of allergies, food allergies. So I didn't know from one day to the next what I was eating. And at that point I was eating meat and dairy and all that before I realized I had all these issues. And so then I started dabbling just in taking meat out of my diet because I had taken so much else out. And again, I can look back even in at 42, 43 going, Oh, well, this could be a way of me staying the weight that I want to want to be. And so I can 100% relate to using that as a restrictive form. However, I have now realized, and I still will catch myself going, huh, well, I don't have to eat meat, so I'm not going to gain a ton of weight. But for me, I notice when I do eat meat, which is probably, I don't know, maybe two or three times a year, I'll have a couple of bites and then I'm good um, because the rest of my family will meet, um, they're not vegans. But when I do have a couple of bites, it's like, oh, that's, that tastes pretty good. And then after about bite three, I'm like, uh, and then if I eat any more of that, it feels heavy in my body. My body feels really sluggish. Um, I almost start to get a little bit of a headache. So I just noticed for me the reaction of how it feels. Plus, the more and more vegan I am, the more I'm not willing to eat the animals. I mean, let's face it, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that plays a big part in it. But I'm also aware of, I, I still make sure that I am aware of the restrictive piece. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what's most important. Totally. I think that's totally where the discussion needs to be at. You know, it's like, um, I think more people just need to, to be open about it. And, and I, I find a lot in the vegan community, really cutthroat. It's like, well, if you're not sticking to a completely vegan diet, you're a terrible person. And it's like, well, that's just not true. And also, there are a lot of people who, you know, maybe it's, they want to have meat once a year. And far be it from me to tell them no plus you know like you right. said their own bodies will tell them what's best if they're eating meat and they're feeling weird about it and their body's like uh, maybe not then chances are they're not going to want to eat it anyway you know they're not going to force right. it so I do think it's important and it you know your body and starting to respect your body gives to you you know that relates back to kind of all of this it, having an eating disorder um eating 
you know, just intentional eating, eating when you're hungry and not just eating to eat. Um, that's all sort of a connected to each other for sure. Mm. And I know that you had also written in this article, or it might have been a different article, about getting away from the label of being vegan and being more um, using plant-based. What is that about? Tell us about that. Yeah. Which I love. Yeah, for sure. So, so for me, um, so vegan is just a word that um, has been used to, to, like, to describe this lifestyle for quite a while. However, um, like many terms, it's also become synonymous with like crazy person and like you know, <laughs> right. animal for like, it's just these crazy things that people are vegan. I know a lot of vegans and most of them are not crazy and are totally good people. However, if you go online or you general response that you get back is why and who cares and what are you doing that for and do you think mm-hmm. the cows care and it's right. just like it's just a bummer to hear that so for stigma and being honest about the fact that when people say vegan assume that you are a militant vegan and I think it's okay to be the best vegan that you can be and be vegan 90% of the time and still have the occasional time where either you slip up or you make the choice to have something. Mm. You're still a good person. You're still making the effort 90% of the time. And I, I just can't despair one for that. You know, mm-hmm. it's like they're doing such a better job than most. They're making so much mm. more of an effort than most that I just look down on someone for that. And so I was having morally because I just felt like constantly I was seeing that online and hearing that with the groups of people I was associating with them saying like well yeah but then they they had this one meal that wasn't vegan so they're not a vegan and it's like well who are you to judge what they what they are (laughs) so I just feel like in this way many a lot of different groups of people I just don't want to be a part of that so for me it was like I am not super strongly attached to this word so it feels like I could drop it and I don't feel like I'm losing anything from my life. I can still eat when I do what my dietary preferences are. It's a really helpful moniker in that way. Um, but I don't like to call myself a vegan because I think it associates this stigma that like I'm a crazy person and I'd really like people right. to get to know me before they decide that I'm a crazy person. You know? I can totally, yeah, I totally agree because same, same when we, if we would go out to eat or you know, with friends or whatever, and well, I'm vegan it's, or I'll, I'm plant-based. And then it's almost as if you hear this, oh, mm-hmm. and it's this complete <laughs> judgment around you Why and your lifestyle. Yeah. Oh my God. Like the flags are coming out and I don't know. I, I, I don't even know. And it doesn't matter to me what goes on in their mind. And so I, I love that you are dropping the label because I think, I think it has been a label and I don't think that I want to use it as well because I eat plant-based because that's what feels good in my belly and it's what feels good in my body. Mm-hmm. And so for me, and as well, Absolutely. I, and I think, mm-hmm. go ahead. Oh, oh, I was going to say, I think there's something to be said too for that respect of like, knowing what your body likes and doesn't like and having the wherewithal to say, look, my body's different than yours and our bodies, they're going to need different things. You know, like I do respect that. I think that yes, in general, most people could survive a very healthy life on a vegan diet. That said, we all grow up in these different areas. We grow up eating different diets. Our bodies are different. We have different needs, you know, and Mm. I think it's so important to do that, to listen to your body and say like, yeah, a few times a year, I try a little meat and that works for me. That is so, Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't use the word diet, but what you eat in your everyday life come down to is just that what you're eating makes you feel happy and whole. Mm-hmm. And so at your most recent event, your wedding, you had a completely <laughs> plant-based wedding, yes? We did, yeah. We kept it totally plant-based. So everything from the food truck, which was a vegan, um, well, not totally vegan, you know, my dress was ethically made, handmade in Los Angeles, and my husband got these awesome 
vegan all rubber and fabric shoes made and so yeah we went uh we went a little above and beyond to try and keep it uh plant-based but that was important to us just because you know we're we're trying to consider ourselves pretty big environmentalists and it was kind of a way for us to prove to our families who have given us some flack over all these years that like we could do it you know um we got a little bit of kickback when we first told them like well it's an all vegan menu for the evening so you know, just come prepared. And they said, well, well, why can't you have meat for the people to eat meat? And we said, well, it's one meal. <laughs> they can, they'll get through one meal without mm. meat. And also the food is really good. So I don't think they'll right? get the meat at all. And no and one I did. No one was raving about it. Yeah, I think it's such a misconception that, oh my God, vegan food, you must be a rabbit. I think that is a huge misconception. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I totally agree. Like we had a full spread of um, appetizers, dolmas and pita bread and hummus and tabbouleh salad. And then we had um, falafel tacos and falafel banh mi for the main main course. We had a full spread of um, vegan donuts for dessert. And then we also had a totally uh, vegan wedding cake made from actually a medical marijuana company that we've worked with. So they made us an infused wedding cake because we don't, we don't drink alcohol. So it was a, Oh shoot. Are you still there? Oh, yeah. Amber. Hi. Oh God. Sorry. Hi. Cutting out. Hi. Okay. <laughs> okay. Go back right to, we had a completely infused medical, medical marijuana cake, a company that you worked with. And then that's where I lost you. And I want to hear about that. Oh, yeah. So a company that we work with, they are here in Southern California. They're called Dr. Raw Organics. Um, They uh, made us an infused wedding cake. We don't drink. So for us, it was like our version of a way to imbibe for the evening. Um, And so we did have beer on tap at the event for other guests. And um, yeah, the cake was a hit, actually. Way more of it got eaten than I thought it was going to be. Um, But everyone loved it and had a, you know, had a great reaction to it and it was phenomenal. Just another unique way to sort of make it our own, which we love. I love it. I love it. Love it. Tell me, um, we are going to wrap it up. So tell me what you have coming in the future. What are you working on now? What collaborations do you have going on? If you can talk about them. So I'm actually, yeah, no, of course. I'm actually in my, uh, in the works of my second cook, collaborative cookbook. It's sort of a, uh, like a big vegan Bible sort of thing. So all of the recipes you could ever imagine, um, a couple of authors and I are coming together to write this. So that'll be out in late 2018. Yay! Um, I know. And then uh, yoga. I've just started teaching yoga a few times a week um, at a studio in Artesia and then a few times a week at a studio in Brea. So I'm so excited to be teaching and having classes. I am honestly love I love it. It's such a wonderful, wonderful way to exercise and connect with people and like give yourself some self-love. So I will be posting all that stuff on my Instagram. So totally give me a follow if you're interested in coming. I would love to love to have you guys. Mm -hmm. Mm, Thank you. And so for people that are new to you, which you've got like, uh, what do you have? 20, 25,000 followers on your Instagram? I think Uh, I Yeah. Yeah, something around that, which is amazing. Yeah, some 20-something. <laughs> Thank amazing. you. <laughs> and so if you are new to Amber, um, it's so fun to follow your account because I feel like you are so real on your account. You post your different Thank recipes. You. you post what you're doing during the day. You have so many other things going on besides being um, just a plant-based cook. In saying that, how often do you post um, recipes on your blog? on the blog usually once a week once every two weeks depending on how mm-hmm. much other content but right now we're shooting for about once a week mm-hmm. what other content do you put on your site so um we've moved into it used to be exclusively recipes um until about uh eight months ago when i decided to start blogging about other things mm-hmm. of um, health and wellness and self-care and um talks about mental health and yeah, all kinds of fun stuff. So if with you guys are interested, we'd love to have you join the discussion. Which I love because I think in this day and age, it's so easy to access everyone else's life through social media. 
But in saying that, we also want to know what's going on because that's how we relate and realize we're all in the same boat. We're all going through the same thing together. And so it actually joins us in that community when you're sharing everything else going on in your life. And not to say that you have to share, share every single thing, but when you are so much more open with your community, it brings those followers in, but it also brings us together as that community. Absolutely. I so agree. I love that. That's my favorite part of um, sort of the platform that I have and what I do is that I've built this community of people that has, you know, shared goals and shared interests and good vibes and wonderful people just kind of coming together to be honest and be real and kind of the most you can ask for. So I really love, mm-hmm. I really love this space. Mm-hmm. Oh, Amber, I loved, loved, loved chatting with you today. Oh, thank you. That was wonderful. I'm so glad we finally got to chat. Right? <laughs> it's taken us a couple of months. <laughs> <laughs> right? And so for all of our listeners, just a reminder that this episode will be podcast usually in about 20 minutes after our show is over. You can podcast it. It'll be available on iTunes and Stitcher. Coming up, it'll be available on SoundCloud and what's my fourth one? I can't even remember my fourth one right now. Anywho, um, it will be available specifically Stitcher and iTunes in about 20 minutes so that you can listen to this now and forevermore. And you can put it on your blog, Amber. Um, awesome. Great chats today. I am just bowing in namaste to you for your openness and your candidness and being willing to share this with all of us. Oh, thank you so much for chatting with me. This was wonderful. I'm so glad we yeah, did it. I am too. Namaste, my darling. Thank you. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.